This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Amazon is getting more involved in the medical field. The tech giant has developed new software designed to read electronic medical records with the potential to suggest ways of improving treatment and possibly saving money along the way. Amazon Comprehend Medical is designed to read doctor's notes. It's somewhat similar to the text analysis software that Amazon Web Services has sold for other areas such as travel booking and supply chain management. Amazon already delved into the medical field with its acquisition of PillPack back in June. With more on this news, we are joined in studio by Arnold Skip Rossoff, who's a Wharton uh, Professor Emeritus of Legal Studies and Healthcare Management and a senior fellow at Penn's Leonard Davis Institute for Health Economics. Also joining us in studio, Rob Field, Professor of Law and Professor of Health Management and Policy at Drexel University. And joining us on the phone, Catherine Hempstead, Senior Advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Skip, Rob, great to see you both. Thank you for coming in. Thank Wonderful you. to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. Catherine, great to have you with us today. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, so I, I guess let's start with the, we know that Amazon wants to delve deeper and deeper, Rob, into the healthcare industry. Software is a big part of that because of where we're going with digital records and the need to have kind of maintenance over these systems. Right. Healthcare, like everything else, is becoming more of an information-based industry. And data is the gold standard. And Amazon knows as well as anyone uh, how to handle and analyze data. Um, it's a $3.5 trillion industry. It's 18% of our economy. So who wouldn't want a piece of that? Uh, I think Amazon, as well as uh, Apple and, and the other big tech companies, uh, see a tremendous opportunity here. And if their uh, machine learning algorithms can yeah. figure out what doctors are saying, uh, there's a Nobel Prize in that because uh, it seems like everyone else has trouble with that. Skip? Yeah, well, uh, I imagine I'm going to join in this conversation as kind of the negative, uh, the naysayer. I'm concerned about personal health information privacy. And in part with Rob over the last couple of years and with a former student from Wharton, uh, Anthony Orlando, we've been looking at various ways that people are putting their PHI, I call it, personal health information, at risk by putting it on the web in various forms. Um, and so uh, as we go on, I'll point out a couple of concerns and, and um, fears that I have that people are going forward without their eyes wide enough open. Catherine, what are your thoughts on, on this move by Amazon? Well, I think it's, I think it's really exciting. I recognize some of the, the concerns that people may have. Um, I think that on the sort of surface, it seems like there may be a lot of kind of convenience and um, automation kind of benefits that would uh, save clerical time and make things quicker and more efficient. But I also think that there are some potentially very disruptive attributes of this kind of um, entry product, depending on how good it is at drawing inferences and how easy it is for different stakeholders to use. So that would be something I would be interested in talking about. Yeah, and, and Rob mentioned it, but Catherine, I'll start with you. This idea of machine learning, where uh, this industry is concerned, and, and being able to understand doctor's notes which is pretty much it's a, a personal thing, I would think, has got to be one of the biggest challenges in bringing this type of software forward. Yeah, I, I think that's right. I mean, even though so much of what doctors are doing now has become sort of computerized and digitized, and that's something that has, you know, is very burdensome to, to providers, the process of making their insights and their information in this kind of digital form, it's still very fragmented and non-standard in a lot of ways. So the idea of being able to use machine learning to 
sort of recognize patterns and recognize a lot of non-standard things and sort of pull out different pieces of information is, you know, enormously labor-saving. And I think the first use case they talked about with the, um, the cancer center in Seattle where they were using this software to, you know, simply look for, you know, pretty simple kinds of things to identify patients that would be good candidates for clinical trials. I mean, that's a very simple kind of task, but it's, you know, it's enormously labor-saving and, and productive. But I think that, you know, thinking about something, you know, more kind of disruptive would be if patients then felt much more motiva- motivated to be sort of the owners of their own medical records and right. could actually <clears throat> use this software to actually kind of monitor trends in their own health, you know, maybe think about it coupled with things like the development of direct-to-consumer labs or other kinds of things where, you know, consumers are using a kiosk in a drugstore or other ways that consumers can sort of get health readings about themselves and kind of put it into this digital file. And then this, um, you know, then this, uh, this software can kind of search through it and identify patterns and really alert consumers, you know, hey, your your iron is low and this is the third time, you know, in the last six months. Yeah. So, you know, we really recommend that you do something. It, it has the potential. It has a lot of really interesting business potentials. But one of them is to put consumers much more in sort of the driver's seat with their own health, which has good and bad implications, I think. Yeah, well, there are all of these risks, but this is where healthcare is going. And if Amazon weren't doing this now, someone would be doing it. Yeah. As our capabilities mm-hmm. for machine learning and artificial intelligence get better, uh, it's just a foregone conclusion that we're going to go in this direction. It's a question of how we steer it. Well, you also have uh, the, the story about Microsoft potentially working with the Defense Department to work on the medical health records of, of veterans and actually making that information available to them via uh, via apps, correct? Right. And Apple using its smartwatch uh, as a medical device as well. Uh, Everyone is trying to get a piece of this. And Mm -hmm. uh, it's only a matter of time before uh, uh, the the, the whole industry is on the bandwagon. Go ahead. Go ahead, Catherine. I mean, I think the business implications are huge because I think there are so many visits right now that are really kind of rote exchanges of information where a provider is telling a consumer some information from some set of labs or screenings and some you know, some insights about them, which, you know, lots of times there's kind of no news, but these visits take place anyway. But I think that the this kind of a product and, you know, combined with other changes could could really lead to the reduction in a lot of those kinds of visits and I think would um, could really erode loyalty to physicians, I think, in a certain way, because consumers could be more kind of managing their own medical information and deciding sort of what they want us to do and and when, and I think it could allow, for example, retail clinics to do much more in terms of managing someone's care, knowing more about patients' medical history. If this kind of information were more sort of on an open platform where all kinds of providers, when given permission by consumers, could, could look at it and, and use it. So I think that there are, there are really big potentials, depending on how easy it is to use and how well it works. Skip? Well, those who know me know that I'm generally a cockeyed optimist, and I would join in on the uh, uh, the optimism and the enthusiasm for rushing headlong into the future here. But yeah. those of you who are old enough to remember 2001, and I don't mean the year 2001, but the uh, Stanley Kubrick movie, yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, opened the pod bay doors, Hal, 
Now, I'm a big believer in artificial intelligence, but when Hal decides he's not on your side anymore, there's something you got to do. You know, daisy, daisy. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'll chime in from time to time and remind you that there's, it's a dangerous world out there, as our president is fond of saying now. But the, the question that becomes also, Catherine, I think with, with this information and the connection with the, with the consumer is how much will we become or will we see the consumer or the patient become more reliable on making the decisions themselves without the input of the medical professionals? I mean, I, I think there, there, is, there is that potential, but I mean, it's worth noting that increasingly, you know, physicians are being kind of guided by different kinds of um, clinical decision-making software that is also itself guided by AI. And I think that's right. another potential business impact of this is that it could really eat the lunch of a whole army of, you know, developers and consultants that do sort of one-off kinds of um, predictive analytics and different kinds of consumer decision software that's very um, compartmentalized into different kinds of clinical conditions. So, I mean, to the extent to which this software is able to kind of democratize some of that utility and make it more widely usable by by a broader base of stakeholders, I think it could cut into a lot of that, um, you know, kind of consultant revenue stream. Curious to know what Rob thinks about that. Um, I think that this is a good example of how steering it is so important. Uh, if the consumer gets the information, uh, that would be great. It would empower us more. Uh, we'd have a, a much more sophisticated ability to decide what we need and what we don't need. But who's paying the bill here? It's going right. to be insurance companies. It's going to be health systems. It's going to be perhaps other kinds of large corporate entities. And they're the ones who are going to want first dibs on the data. Uh, so we're going to have to keep an eye on how they're going to use the data mm -hmm. and, and then risks like marketing and so forth. Well, then I guess the question mm -hmm. is then if, if these uh, the insurance companies are are going to be the ones to want to have the first dibs, as you say, it, will the savings potentially that could occur kind of balance out the cost that's going to have to be incurred in terms of the investment of, uh, of all of this software and, and all of this process? Yeah, well, to take Skip's uh, optimistic uh, point of view, uh, yes, it could. But they've said that about every aspect of computerization <laughs> of medicine and, and really every other industry. And each time uh, it adds layers of cost and those savings are yet to be realized. So I'm not an optimist on that. Skip? <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's so much I, I could take us off into here. But part of it, information about patients has been largely put into electronic health records yep. in the past from provider side, hospitals, physicians, uh, drug suppliers, and so forth. And they've been interacting with insurers. And HIPAA, uh, the Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, is largely uh, now devoted to protect people's privacy, but based on the premise that the information is coming from healthcare providers. And empowering consumers and letting them put information in and take information out is a very good thing, recognizing that some con consumers are going to be much better at it than others. But when you start aggregating the information from these different sources, you've got to be very careful that the information is good enough. I'm not even getting to the privacy yet. Uh -huh. When a mother keeps records of whether her kids had measles and mumps and whether they've had vaccine and so forth. And some need is there for a doctor to decide whether to give a certain drug or not. He's got to know whether uh, the mother's record is an accurate record. 
accurate in terms of time and in terms of what was done. That's already creating a lot of problems here. So when you add Hal uh, helping you out with it too, um, there's tremendous potential for it to be better, but there's enough potential for it to go off the rails. But to this point, we have seen the the uh, the digital side of healthcare. I think do a pretty good job of being able to to parse this information, but also protect it as well. Up up till now, correct? I'm not so sure. <laughs> okay, why I'm, so? I'm, well, there have been very significant data breaches, not just in the healthcare area specifically, but you know, there's Facebook and, and others. And one of the things is the people who have access to this data, the, the ones you know have access to this data. Yeah. In this case, it might be Amazon. Are they going to tell you right away if there's been a data breach? And are they going to help you sort that out? Right. And beforehand, when you decide whether you want to play part of this game, are you going to go into it with your eyes at least reasonably wide open as to what the risks are? There's yeah. no government agency at this point that's taking the lead and saying, this is what people need to know before they start down this path. And that goes to a bigger question, actually, of, of data protection in general, of the information being provided of a breach, you know, when it occurs in a fairly timely manner, you know, whether that is two weeks, one week, or as a lot of IT people would say, they would like as much as six months. Right. I, I'm not sure that this presents that much more of a risk than what we have right now, because that data is out there in insurance companies, health systems, and other places, and uh, subject to breaches, as Skip was saying, uh, and uh, hacking and, and, and so forth. Yeah. Um, in terms of the risk and reward, uh, look at what data analytics has done in politics and the way we're able to micro-target. Um, there's dark side to that, Cambridge Analytica, <laughs> yeah. uh, and yeah. what Facebook has done. Uh, but we can look at what you buy on Amazon and what kind of car you own and and get very specific as to your behaviors and then figure out what candidate you're going to vote for and what buttons to press to get you to go to the polls. Yeah. Um, we presumably would do the same thing in healthcare, but figure out, are you going to get asthma? Are you going to get cancer? Are you going to get depression? Um, in terms of treatment, that's very exciting. Yeah. The other side, though, is how are we going to use it? Even if it doesn't leak out, how are the insurance companies and the employers and, and the healthcare providers going to use that to say, uh, we know that... Uh, uh, you're a Democratic or Republican voter. Uh, now we know uh, that you're likely to have this or that disease within the following time frame. Uh, so <laughs> tremendous risk, tremendous reward. <laughs> Catherine, I'll let you follow up with that. I'm not... Yeah, no, I, I think that it's the privacy issues don't seem like they're that um, ex accelerated by this because, you know, the people's medical records have always been sensitive. They've always been there. They're increasingly digitized and, you know, available to be breached and, and what have you. But I think what's got the potential for good and evil sort of is is making it easier for people to make inferences from your medical records and you know they're one of the one use cases the consumer kind of empowering the consumer for better or worse to be more in charge of their own health and maybe be a more active consumer of of medical services and of you know practices that might be you know better beneficial to their health another use case is the provider you know the provider may be managing someone's care better or a provider um, that's in a risk-based payment arrangement being able to, and this could be kind of getting yeah. to some of the dark side of it, maybe figuring out a patient that they don't want to take because they think it's going to, you know, blow their blow their numbers and, and keep them from getting their shared savings because they can very quickly, you know, draw some inferences from this patient's medical records that would suggest this patient wouldn't be a good risk for them to take. And you can also think about insurance companies potentially being able to, 
get access to medical data and using software like this. And frankly, they already do this, you know, but making it easier when they're maybe preparing quotes for the large group market and saying, I don't want to make a quote on, on this for this company because I can kind of see, you know, what's, what's going on here because I'm quickly able to draw some inferences from these medical records. So I think there are a lot of opportunities for sort of helpful and harmful things to come out of this. But, but I think a lot of these things are happening anyway, but they tend to be, you know, mostly very specialized, expensive consultants that are doing things like this right. in different parts of the industry. So I see the potential for kind of more widespread use of these tools, which I think has, you know, good and bad potential. Well, we, we've talked a, a good bit about the, the cost savings and, and the technical side of this, Catherine. What about the, the potential on in, improved treatment? That was one of the things that has been talked about in the development of this software and bringing it forward, is looking for things within these health records that may be able to find a different path of treatment for a consumer. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's enormously promising. And there have been so many interesting studies of, of AI and different kind of discrete aspects of, of medical care, like, you know, radiology is an obvious one, but there are many others. And, and really showing the continual improvement of these models. And I think the ability just to kind of find missed things that are not very tricky once you find them, but finding them is hard to do. And I think that's, you know, that's kind of like this use case in the cancer center to identify people for trials, but also, you know, identifying things that are relevant for somebody's care. And then more, I think, sophisticated ways of integrating a lot of information about people and, and making treatment recommendations. So, I mean, I think there's great potential there. I, you know, I think with all these things, and I think this is sort of what Skip was getting at in a way, and I feel the same way, you can, there's this worry about being kind of seduced by these algorithms and these decision engines. And, and you know, you kind of worry that what if, you know, clinicians and patients and everybody just start to kind of unquestionably rely on, on these models. How do they keep learning and improving? And, is, yeah. you know, is there a point where that actually isn't the best opportunity for the best clinical care. Skip? We've gone pretty far down the road uh, towards having uh, healthcare providers rely upon um, the, the digital world. Yeah. Uh, clinical decision support systems, CDSSs, are around. Penn uh, uses one of the most prominent ones, EPIC. And doctors, when they make judgments about what they're going to give you by way of a drug or whether they can combine two therapies, maybe one coming from orthopedics, one coming from radiation oncology, something like that, uh, they're relying upon these uh, digital um, helpmates. Uh, and we're all benefiting from that. But like so many other things, there's a, there's a downside to it. As you said, I can't begin to count the number of ways in which my life is better with my smartphone and everything else going to the web dozens and dozens of times a day. Yep. But increasingly, I'm aware when I do it that I'm putting myself at risk. I'm probably not going to go off the grid, but I sleep less comfortably at night, although I can't get a call between <laughs> 11 at, and, right. and 8 in the morning. Right. But I sleep less comfortably wondering who's looking at my healthcare data or could be. So then what do you think we need to look at as a country, as a government, as a society to try and alleviate a good bit of those concerns if you possibly can? Well, let me say a couple of things about that. One is uh, we're ahead of the rest of the world in a lot of respects, but in regard to regulation of personal health information privacy, we're lagging behind the European Union. They adopted it when effective back in May, the GDPR. Uh, general 
help me. General Data Protection Act. Protection regulations. Regulation, yeah. And they're more stringent than ours, uh, although many companies in the United States are going to live up to the GDPR standards because they do business in Europe. So we're moving in that direction. Um, I had a second point, but it's left me all. That's okay. Not <laughs> yeah, a problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, to, to turn us back to the positive for a minute. Uh, Good w- idea. W- we <laughs> have uh, we have data, data all around, uh, but uh, not a drop of information. Uh, it, it's mm. like a giant haystack, and there are needles, needles of gold in there yeah. uh, that are going to unlock uh, treatments and diagnoses and, and diseases and, and correlations. And uh, it, it's beyond a, a mortal human's ability to do those calculations. So this opens the door to the possibility of finding those needles. Uh, and I think that's the exciting possibility. But to, to a degree then, uh, you know, the, the healthcare sector, and I, I, this shouldn't be a total surprise, the healthcare sector is a lot like society in general right now in, in trying to get a better understanding of all of that data so that they know what what uh, paths they should be following in the years to come. Absolutely. The difference is that healthcare data is so much more personal and has the ability to do so much more harm as well as so much uh, more good. And as important as our banking records or even our political records are, health care gets at who we are and and what our life is going to be like. So I think that's the difference. Catherine? Yeah, I mean, I think the most exciting thing about it is the potential for consumers to manage their own health care a little bit more. It's been sort of a geeky thing that people have been trying through the Blue Button Initiative and these other things to get consumers to be interested in having their medical records on their smartphones and stuff. And there's been some progress along those lines. But it's, it's easy to understand why consumers might feel like, well, what's, what am I going to do with that information? What's useful about that information for me? So I think the combination of really easy platform that can contain the data and maybe has some you know, to Skip's concerns, some very um, demarcated places for consumers to enter some information about, you know, when their headaches are worse or how they're feeling, but not falsify vaccination records and thinks that would be super problematic. Combining that kind of a platform with some software that would allow consumers to learn from the data and act on it, I actually really think that's huge because right now people's medical records are kind of the work product of all these different providers and they're scattered around, or even if they're together, they're not usable to consumers. So, you know, I think that that's the most exciting thing about this. Yeah, I'm generally on the same side as Catherine and Rob. I am an optimist, and I want us to go forward into the future. Uh, But uh, let me uh, mention the second point that I forgot a a minute ago. In 2016, uh, we um, had a new law come into being, uh, the 21st Century Cures Act, and it recognized the tremendous potential Uh, largely a lot of it coming out of the digital side, and wanted to um, back off on burdensome regulations that would keep the future from coming forward. Right. It's clear that we need regulations to protect people, at the very least to caution them as to what their risks are. But at this point, we don't know what those regulations should be, and we don't even have a clear idea who should take the lead in putting them forward. Smart watches, they'll use biometric monitoring to tell me that maybe I'm on the edge of a heart attack and I ought to take some medicine or do something different. Uh, That puts it up in the cloud and somebody could get there. And um, I'm concerned about that. The FDA can monitor medical devices, but they've made a a decision, even before the Trump administration came in, uh, that they didn't want to regulate that kind of medical device. Uh, And now with Scott Gottlieb, the head of the FDA, and a general anti-regulatory stance, they're even less likely to come forward with regulation. 
So I'm in the difficult position of saying we ought to have regulation, but, hey, don't ask me what it should be or who should be doing right. it. But we need to be thinking about it. Rob? Yeah. Uh, so to Catherine's vision of mm-hmm. consumer empowerment, um, I think that's a great scenario. Uh, the question is, will consumers have access to this? And, and right. again, it's not them who are paying the bill. Uh, it's not them who are going to use the population-based information. Uh, so I think that's where regulation is going to be important, that we can get our data. Uh, it's going to be like uh, 23andMe. Uh, people are going to get on <laughs> yeah. and, and, and actually uh, learn something. Great having you all with us today. Catherine, thank, for, thank you for your time on the phone. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Rob, Skip, great seeing you. Thank you for coming enjoyed in. It. Greatly Thanks appreciate for having it. Me. Thank you. Skip Ross, uh, Professor Emeritus here at the Wharton School. Rob Field uh, from Drexel University, Professor of Law and Professor of Health uh, Management and Policy. Catherine Hempstead, uh, Senior Advisor at the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.